Well, today we are wrapping up our series called How to Build a Life, and we've been looking at Colossians, which is a letter that a man named Paul wrote to this church, and we find it in the New Testament. And uh, uh, I've just really enjoyed it. I've loved it. Uh, I'll give you a little um, a, a little bit of a um, recap of what where we've been thus far. But uh, I forgot. I feel bad because we're family, and I feel like I should have told you. But last week I forgot to tell you. So if you didn't know, if we're not like Facebook friends or something, you can find me on Facebook. I'll be your friend. Um, but my wife and I, we found out that we're having another boy. So that's kind of fun. So I forgot to tell you. So I apologize. But that's kind of fun, so, um, which is really exciting. So uh, pray for us that um, our son Gideon really, really, really wanted a girl. Um, like, honestly, every time we'd ask him, anyone would ask him. Um, and he's getting better with the whole idea, like at, at bedtime prayers and stuff, we pray for brother. Um, but, man, that this little kid is probably going to have a lot of black eyes. So um, pray for uh, us. You know, it's crazy. I, it, it's crazy how much can change uh, in five years. Five years ago... Uh, I moved to Kokomo. I wasn't married. I didn't own a house and have a kid and all these different things. Uh, I had probably less gray hair. Uh, I probably was in better shape. So a lot happens in five years, good and, uh, and stressful and stuff. But can I be honest with you guys? I found um, moving from West Michigan to Central Indiana, uh, you guys are, are a little bit different than West Michigan. I'm not saying that is a bad thing, but I just want to call to attention. There are some, some differences of things. And, uh, and some of it's great. Like, for example, like pork tenderloin. Why is Indiana, like, not, like, doing, like, pure Indiana commercials where they tell people about pork tenderloin sandwiches and, like, telling them to come here? But here are a couple things that I learned early on uh, living in Kokomo that I didn't know um, was a thing that I found out that maybe I was wrong. So the first thing is, is how, we, how we talk about directions, okay? Now, I found out that Indiana is more like the rest of the world and in, in Michigan is weird. But So if, if something's diagonal, what would you say it is in reference Caddy corner. So where I come from, it's kitty corner. So we, we value the children, obviously, and you guys know, that's fine. But I've never heard, I, until I moved to Indiana, until I married a Hoosier, I'd never heard caddy corner in my life. It was always kitty corner, which I, I found out upon doing some uh, intense Internet research, because everything on the Internet's true. Um, I found out that I'm in the weird on this one. How about this one? Um, and, and, and I'm not judging, but, like, I did not know that um, drinking pop, like, was a normal like morning drink. Like I, I don't know how many times I've given people a Starbucks gift card and got it regifted, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but it's because they're like, sorry, I need my Coke in the morning, which is just an, it's an interesting thing. I'm not saying this wrong. It's fine. Uh, how about this one? Uh, when, when kids are coloring and they're using these things that are made out of uh, colorful wax, what do you call them? No. Crayons, okay, okay, cool, 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 cool. There, there are people in Indiana, and maybe you're one of them, I'm not judging you, but I might look at you different, who call them crowns, right? How many of you guys have heard people call them crowns? How many, how many of you would be brave enough to say you call them crowns still? Man. Lord Jesus, I want to just pray for these people in the name. No, true story. When I moved to Kokomo, I remember I was having a conversation with someone, and I moved here to be the youth pastor and uh, they were telling me about this game where you put white paper all over the walls and you crushed up crowns and then you'd throw them at people. Now, the image that I had in my head was like jagged metal pieces of like shrapnel flying at people's faces. And I remember thinking like, like what? And then I learned that sometimes people in Indiana call crayons crowns. It's fine. It's all good. Here's the last one that I've never really, I, I can't get over. And if, if I'm offending you in this moment, I deeply apologize. But 
Uh, I've noticed that some of the bumper stickers or decals that you find on Indiana vehicles, very interesting. One of my favorite ones that I just really don't understand is when you're driving in central Indiana and you see someone with that pink Salt Life bumper sticker. Come on, guys. We are not living the salt life here. Maybe during the winter, I think a more accurate one would be like an ear of corn with like living the corn life. Um, that's just me. Sorry, these, these, I thought these were going to be funnier. I apologize, guys. Um, no, but it got me thinking. The salt life is kind of funny, isn't it? Like we're, we're nowhere near any like real salt water other than like a quarry. And, uh, but you kind of see that around there and it sort of feels funny. Like I, I, it sort of makes you feel like, are you though? Like, is that sort of like a poser thing? I remember when I was in middle school, I got skater shoes. And I remember that was the first time I ever got called a poser because they're just comfy and I wanted to wear them. I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a, quote, poser. But, but the salt life got me thinking about um, the message this morning. This morning, we're going to talk a little bit about salt. And, uh, and, and, and maybe uh, we could reclaim the fact that maybe living the salt life could mean something different than what that bumper sticker means. And maybe it could mean something that actually could apply uh, to where we live and who we are uh, in our faith. But Colossians, we've been talking about how do we build a life. And we've been talking about uh, wisdom in building it. We've talked about how we should have a foundation uh, in Christ, that we should have a firm foundation uh, that we can build our life upon. We've talked about like a tree, we should grow roots deep down into Christ and that we should allow that to be the thing that holds us together when there are storms of life, that we should intertwine our roots like the church so that way we can hold on, hold on to each other during those times, and that when we have the good roots, that's where we're going to get the good fruits. And then last week, we talked about this concept of pruning and clothing, this idea that we should prune out of our life the negative things, the things that would uh, hold us back from growing in Christ, the things that would hold us back uh, from truly trusting in being who he created us to be. And instead, we should clothe ourselves with things like compassion and kindness and humility and bind it all together in love. Today, we're going to talk about living wisely, and we're going to talk about salt. And it's kind of interesting. How many of you guys like to watch the show Fixed Rapper? How many of you guys are sad that it's over? I'm, I, I'll be honest. Like I, I kind of want to cry about it a little bit. One of my favorite things about Fixer Upper is if you're a novice like me who's not like a real manly man who doesn't know anything, it's given me a little bit of tools to understand like what is like bad and what is good, right? Like to understand like some pretty obvious concepts of like this is a bad home, this is a good home. It's helped me figure out some ways that like sometimes you realize like, oh, maybe on the outside it looked good, but on the inside you figure out stuff. And one of my favorite things about it is, is it really has given us uh, given this way to have perspective. And we'll talk about towards the end how it also has taught us, at least taught me, uh, that things that have been broken, things that have been cast aside, can be brought back to life, can be made beautiful, uh, and can be something that people will say, wow. But the reality is, uh, oftentimes, uh, in our own lives, I think there's a question about how do people view us if we were a house? And that might sound funny, but so if we were a house, how would people view you? And the question this morning I want to ask, I want to wrestle with, because Paul is interested at the end of the letter, is about what does our life look like to those outside the faith in particular? And a question to begin to ask ourselves is, if people only knew Jesus based off your life, what would they think? 
Let's stop and, and for real, think about that for a minute. If people were, were to know Jesus, if their only window, their only lens into the heart of who Jesus Christ is was based upon their interactions with you, your life, uh, your bank accounts, your browser history, would they see Jesus? Would they say, wow, they figured it out, I want that. Now, as we approach this question, as we talk about this, you know, I, I love this quote from D.L. Moody. He said this, he said, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian. One will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian. Now, obviously, D.L. Moody is, is just speaking to this concept that, that we know Jesus through Scripture. We, we know the story of who Jesus is because of Scripture. But if no one ever was to read it, how would they know who Jesus is? They would look to his followers. They would say, what do the followers look like? And do the followers look like Jesus? As Paul is closing out his, his short letter, he, he, he begins Colossians chapter 4 by saying this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, I love this because I think it can get lost in the reading of Colossians, is the fact that as Paul is writing this letter, he literally is in prison. He's literally in chains. Now, I, it's probably funny to talk about like, Okay, Aaron, you said you want us to think about wise living, and you have this convict, Paul, writing a letter to people. Um, you know, I think one of the things that's so um, powerful about the story of Paul's life isn't just the crazy transformation that he has, that going from being a person who once killed Christians to being arguably one of the greatest figures in the church of all time, but it's the fact that he was deeply sold out. I mean, think about that. How many of you guys can be really honest and actually say, like, yes, I would risk my livelihood, I would risk my job for my faith? I'm not going to, like, make anyone raise hands, but, like, I'll just be honest with you. I, I'd like to say, like, for sure, like, I would be like Peter who'd be like, yeah, Lord, I'm with you. I won't deny you. But I have to admit, I'd probably be denying him three times before the rooster crowed, just being real. And one of the amazing things about Paul is as he's talking about it, his life is truly a testimony to the change of Jesus. That his life would be something that as people would see, they would not see hypocrisy. They would not see someone who's wishy-washy. They would see someone who really actually believed it. They really actually did it. And so at the beginning of this, Paul kind of gives us this three-part um, practice of prayer that I think is, is great for us to understand and know. Um, and I think this was some of the secret sauce for him uh, in living wisely. You know, again, kind of like we talked about roots. Roots are something that happens underneath the surface. We don't always see what's happening, right? Typically, people oftentimes just get, get judged by, you know, like a tree gets judged by the fruit that we see on top, how it grows, but there's so much inner working. This is the inner working in our life that others won't always see, but is imperatively important to see any growth, to see any true uh, building of a life. And it's just this. Pray, watch, Thank. Pray, watch, thank. Prayer. And when he's talking about in this context in particular, it is the asking, it is the communicating, it is being in relationship with God, and it's also the listening. 
You know, oftentimes a lot of us get this part of prayer life pretty good, right? We, we kind of throw up the like, God, I need help. Go, go about our life. The watching is watching to see how God is working. And sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes it's slow. I was talking with a friend today just about the, the fact that God's timing is always good, but it's not usually as fast as we'd like. But we watch and we see. Oftentimes it's really hard to give God glory for things if we're not paying attention to what he's doing. Think about that. If we're not paying attention to what is happening around us, we are missing out on seeing God on the move. Here's an interesting question, an interesting practice that maybe uh, you can start in your own family, in your own relationship, maybe even if you want to start you know, asking this question yourself, is where are you seeing God move? Where in, in your life, in others' life, are you seeing God move? If we believe that our God is not dead, that means he's moving, he's doing something. And so where are we seeing it? Oftentimes, I think one of the easiest ways to kind of lose out on our faith, to wane in our faith, is when we stop acknowledging what God is doing in our world. Oftentimes, when we begin to buy into some of the fear concepts, I hate when people are always like, you know, I, I know I said our, we live in a dark world because we do, but I hate when people all, like will start being like, well, the world is way worse than it ever has been. And it sounds so defeatist. Like, think about that. Like, we know that the ultimate victory goes to God. And yet sometimes we talk like, like we're like, you know, <clears throat> down by 50 at halftime and there's no hope. You know, we talk like we were Purdue yesterday. Um, come on, guys, I got to get in a couple. It was funny. Admit it. I'll be honest, I actually didn't even watch the game. That's the best part. I didn't think we'd have a chance. But, but for real, sometimes we talk so much like the rest of the world. Sometimes we're actually more fearful. Isn't that kind of crazy? There are some people who don't know Jesus who I find who are far more optimistic about the future than people I know who say they're followers of Jesus. <laughs> What's up with that? And we wonder why people don't want to follow Jesus. Because they're looking at us and they're seeing that we're not watching, we're not seeing God at work, we're not seeing that. And then here's the last piece. Be thankful. Pray, watch, thank. I'll be honest with you guys, one of the things that I'm really terrible at sometimes is remembering to thank God for the things that I asked for. There are times where, like, I'll just be so consumed in something, and by the time we move past it, by the time God answered a prayer, like, I've already forgot to say thank you. And I think one of the ways that we continue on in our faith, one of the ways that we live a wise life, is being reminded of who is taking care of us, who is really uh, orchestrating everything, uh, and who is in full control. And I think the more that we can foster a heart of gratitude, the more that we can foster a life of thankfulness, the better off we will be. The other thing is that it gives us an opportunity to share with those who are yet to know Jesus that our God is good, that he answers prayers, that he takes care of us. And uh, I just think that is one of the greatest things we could do for this world. Now, as we're going to continue on reading in Colossians chapter 4, I want to make sure that, it, that, it, that it's abundantly clear as we, as we start reading this next section that Paul is specifically talking about how we treat those outside of the faith. He's talking about those who are not professing Christians, those who would be the pagans, those who would even be the enemies. And I think context is always deeply important. But I will say I think this can be applicable to people even inside the faith, obviously. 
So Paul says this. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everybody. How many of you guys like to cook? I love cooking. How many of you guys, um, it's actually been kind of fun. Uh, I would say before our son was born, Hunter did like 70% of the cooking, probably more than that. And now we've gotten to like a, probably more like 50, 50, 60, 40, depending on the week, which I actually kind of like. And uh, I don't know about you, any other, anyone else love to cook like breakfast? Like I love, love like a hash where there's not real instructions and you just get to like combine whatever you want and just like raid the seasoning drawer and just, ah, oh, I love it. But one of the things I hate so much, did you ever went to like a restaurant or like went to someone's house and like, you don't want to be rude, but like, man, they like didn't, they didn't season the food. Like, can we just be real? Like, it doesn't matter if it's like, like really great, but like, if you don't season chicken, it just kind of tastes funky. Let's just be real. You got to put the seasonings in there. You got to make it something uh, just delicious. And, 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 and I don't know what you, I love going to different restaurants and I love when I eat something that I just like have to tell others about, right? Something that's just so flavorful that you can't help but like, man, I got to take a picture of my food, which is so weird because someday our great-grandchildren and stuff like that are going to look back and be like, wow, you ate baked goat cheese. Congratulations. That's so neat, Dad. Glad you didn't take any pictures of my dad. Um, but it's so funny. Like, uh, but, I, but isn't it true? Like when, when food is good, like you know it, right? I mean, I mean, there's some subjectivity to it. But like I think we can all agree like Chick-fil-A's chicken is a gift from God. Right? And that they need one. Chick-fil-A, if you're watching, if you want to come to Kokomo, please. But there are, there are certain things where, like, I, I think there are some subjectivity in some things, but, but some things we just sort of know, like, man, that was really, really good. You know, it's, it's no surprise that sometimes when restaurants close, it's because their food wasn't very good, right? Uh, you can tell the difference between something that's prepackaged versus homemade, something that was uh, rightly seasoned versus something that was over-seasoned or something that was not seasoned at all. And as Paul is closing out this letter, he's, he's talking to this church, he's talking to these Christians about these concepts of what does it look like as you talk with outsiders and to think about it from the cooking standpoint in many ways. And what he's trying to let them know is, number one, is don't miss an opportunity to love your neighbor. Don't miss an opportunity. You have an opportunity every single day. You have multiple opportunities every single day. But if you miss out on the opportunities, you missed it. Now, we don't have to, like, sit there and be like, I'm sorry, like, someone is going to be eternally damned because I missed this one moment, okay? Like, don't, don't put, like, the weight of the world on your shoulders for these things. But I think, again, it becomes this idea of begin to look through life through a different lens. As you're walking through life, Instead of seeing a dilapidated home, look at it with a possible fixer-upper. Instead of seeing an enemy, instead of seeing someone who you dislike, instead of just seeing someone who has just went off the deep end, see a neighbor who you could love. See a son or daughter who deeply and desperately needs someone to look them in the face and tell them that God has more for them. Someone to walk through the journey and the process of a fixer-upper in their own life with them. But salt, what does he even mean by making sure that our conversations are gracious and seasoned with salt? Um, 
you know, salt had a lot, uh, a lot of purposes in ancient culture. Salt was something that was deeply, deeply valuable. It was, it was used to help preserve food, but it was also used for flavor in food. It's interesting, uh, Roman, uh, the Roman army at certain points in time paid their soldiers in salt because it just held so much value. And so when Paul talks about seasoning with salt, our conversations, being gracious, what I think he's really trying uh, to hit on there is this idea of graciousness is so important. That being gracious is more important than being righteous. That being gracious is more important than being righteous. There are too many people, I think, who love the opportunity, especially for those outside the faith, to like, let's get in a fight. Like, let's get into like a theological fight. Like, oh man, I just want to give them like a nice like uppercut of a great scripture verse and all that sort of stuff. And I think what Paul is trying to say is that I think that there are times when it's far more important to show grace and love to people. It's far more important to look into helping preserve them. Because if we are called to be the salt of the world, part of our job is that we are on a rescue mission. Part of our job is to help preserve those who in reality have no life after this. No life with Jesus. And the reality is is that if we are not careful, we're going to allow the bitterness of the world to just take someone on. People are going to miss out on the grace and the love and the hope of Jesus because they may be turned off by us our abrasiveness. Because let's be honest, sometimes we can be pretty abrasive, right? You guys ever eaten food that was over-seasoned? When I was in college, I worked for this, uh, this, this company called Hopewell, and I would work with men with special needs and um, worked with this guy named Tim who was in his 20s, and he was super high-functioning in so many ways. And he was so loving. I loved spending time with him. But I hated when I was over at his house when he cooked uh, Tim really got into the blackened type um, meal, but not when it was really supposed to be blackened. I mean, he would take like an entire, like imagine like a, a thing of seasoning salt and like just uh, dumping it on there. There's something about the smell of like a burnt seasoning, something about just, oh, that was too much. And so when Paul is talking, I think he really is just saying that our actions matter. That the way that we are, are, are conveying to people, the way that we are expressing to people matter. Because it's sort of like when you're eating food. If people take a bite and there's no flavor, they say, what's the point? If people take a bite and, man, it is just peppered up and it is bitter and terrible, they say, oh, gosh, why would I ever want any of this? I don't want to be like that. But when we have a life that is seasoned with grace and love, People could take a bite. They could see something different in us and say, I want that. If you look at a study of Jesus, if you read through the gospel sometime, and write down all the interactions where Jesus is interacting with people. So interesting. The people who he is always the most gracious with are not those who claim the same God as him. They're not the Jewish people. They're not the people of his faith. They're always the outsiders. They're always those who are caught in the middle of a problem. They're always the people who the others want to condemn. The others want to say, ah, we got you. And I think if we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, we see that his plan for us is to show people that there is a better life. There is a more flavorful life. There is a richer life. And there is a life beyond this. But they're only going to be receptive 
They're only going to see the true picture of that love, of that gospel, of that kingdom, if we are gracious, if we are compassionate, and if we have in our mindset that we don't want them to be turned off by our own sinful nature, by our own abrasiveness. Too many people are looking to want to fight things. And I think what we need to fight for is to make kindness an important, wonderful thing again. In Philippians, Paul said this. He says, uh, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky and as you hold firm to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Love that scripture. What if we look different? What if we were known in this world not for grumbling, not for judging, not for having to constantly be known for what we're against, but what if we were known far more for what we were for? What if people knew that we were for them, that we loved them, that we we could see the good in them, rather than just saying what we see the fault in them? Listen, we, we all know this. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all still got junk. I think so often it's way easier to point out other people's junk than start dealing with our own. And so often it's, it's easy to tell people, hey, you missed a spot there, rather than joining in and helping them clean. People need good neighbors who will walk alongside them, who will love them, who will be gracious and kind to them. And you know what the cool thing is? It doesn't cost you anything to do that. I'm going to ask the band to come up because they're going to close out, but... I'll leave you with just a couple things. Uh, Arguments, they don't save people. Arguments do not save people. Jesus does. You could have the greatest little like proclamation of how you're going to share your, uh, you know, why someone's in the wrong, why they're doing stuff. Arguments will not save people. We live in such a polarized, stuck world that it's so funny sometimes to see people go back and forth in real life or even online, thinking that they're going to change people's opinions or views. No, we just continue to get entrenched down in things. And so, allow Jesus to change them. Hate does not transform hearts in the name of Jesus. Jesus does. Listen, people already are beat down by the world as it is, right? Do they really need people who are proclaiming the name of Jesus to help beat them down? No. They need someone to love them. They need someone to walk alongside them. They need someone to show them who they could be in Christ. You will never have the opportunity to influence someone's life to share the gospel of Jesus if you are a jerk. That comes from the APV, Aaron Perry version of Scripture. Somewhere in there. But it's important. Jesus, Jesus said this in, in the Gospel of Matthew, and I'll, I'll kind of leave out with this. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it may be, be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And he goes on and he says this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Listen, living a life full of wisdom, living a life after Christ is not about doing things so people will see us and say, yes, it's not about being fake. 
But it is about seeing that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. That Again, why would people want to follow something if they see nothing different? So here's a couple questions to think about. How does a dark world know they are in the dark if they don't experience the light? If light or if darkness is truly just the absence of light, the reality is there are so many people who are living a life in which light is absent from. And the sad reality is some of that is our fault because we're living different lives. We live a light life here and and not a light life elsewhere. How can a bitter world know there is more if we are not salt in this world? If the world doesn't see us any different, if they see us as judgmental, hypocritical, self-serving, how are they going to see anything different? How are they going to want something different? My friends, we have to begin to allow Jesus to invade our life, to allow the Holy Spirit to infiltrate us and still just prune out all the junk. You know what? It's not about being perfect. What I've found with my friends who didn't know Jesus, who now do know Jesus or are walking towards that, is you know what they value? Honesty. They're not looking for you to make them into a project. They're not looking for you to be fake. They're just looking for someone else to say, I'm a fixer-upper too, and I'm in progress. If you help me, I'll help you. We can journey together. And I believe that God has amazing plans to transform our lives. I'm going to ask you guys stand, and we're going to close out with, with one last song. But as we are singing, I encourage you to just be conscious about where maybe God is speaking to you in this moment. Maybe he's asking you to seriously light the lamp in your life. Maybe he's asking you to start being a little bit more salty. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for who you are. And uh, God, I just thank you for the way that, uh, God, you just continually push us, God, to live a life that, that others would see and they would say, I want that. And God, not a fake life, not something that is that is cliche, not something that is is trying to put on an appearance that isn't real, but that we would have lives and hearts that truly would be transformed, made into your image, deeply connected and rooted in your son Jesus and in his promises. And that when people would experience us, they would come away and say, wow, those are those people who follow Jesus. That as Jesus proclaimed, as he said, that his followers, they wouldn't be known by buildings, they wouldn't be known by by programs, by symbols, but they would be known by love. So God, I pray that, God, you would sprinkle upon us the salt that would help us preserve, the salt that would give us a good taste, and that, God, we would be the light of the world. God, I pray that anyone in this room this morning, God, that maybe has been in the darkness, and God, I know what it's like to be in the darkness. I hated the darkness. It is scary, it is terrible, and it feels alone. God, I pray this morning that they would be blinded by your light. And that, God, maybe this morning everything would change for them. That they would begin to be the light of the world. That they would begin to be the salt of the world. Would they know that all they have to do is reach out, ask for your forgiveness, say that they, that you they want to make you the Lord of their life. Would they know that there would be a party in heaven happening right now for them? God, convict our hearts. God, give us marching orders. In this moment, God, would we hear from you? God, we are your servants, and we're ready, and we're listening. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.